Hey guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I'm back, and we are very grateful for you're Krista. You're back or and, you're Zach? Oh, good one. <laughs> We're very grateful for Kristen Rio and that midweek episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going to plan on doing a couple more of those. Um, in the hopefully not too distant future, but thanks again to Rio Grange for helping us on her midweek episode, and it feels good to be back and recording. Yeah, we're here. We almost didn't record this evening because we got in a, in a doozy of a fight over... Yeah, you guys, we we just have, have been fighting something very important. Over wagons. <laughs> so you, maybe you guys can help us out, but you have to do it quickly because we have to buy one tomorrow. <laughs> we're debating. We're going to Disneyland. And we're debating between buying the Radio Flyer children wagon from Amazon or the Costco Blue Industrial Strength tank wagon from (laughs) Costco. One of us thinks that the Radio Flyer, with all of its versatility and its comfy seats, is is a great choice. Um, Another one thinks that they want to haul around a big, bulky, um, cumbersome You you said that the Radio Flyer was bigger. Here's the thing. I think this fight has really put us in a little bit of a conundrum because we kind of switched. I'm choosing the more economical thing Mm -hmm. that's easier. The ugly cheap one. And I want the... And Zach wants the one that's like fancier and has more bells and whistles. And this never happens. It's also more expensive. I've tried all all of my takes. Usually if I say this one's cheaper, Zach goes right for it. It's not working this time, so we're really kind of in a weird... So cry it's, cry it's, for help, please. As is. soon as you hear this, will you well, let us th- know which wagon we should buy? <laughs> it's really been funny. Anyway, yeah, maybe you have some experience. Mm-hmm. I, well, I you probably figured it out. We won't tell you which person is going for which wagon. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, thank you so much for being with us. This is episode 12. We're excited to study the parables of Jesus this week. And um, really hope that we can reframe these parables. You're going to study them in one way as led by the Come Follow Me curriculum. And um, what we want to do is kind of provide a companion way of understanding, maybe a different way to look at them that we think will make a difference for you. But before we do, um, our teaching tip this episode comes from uh, this Matthew chapter 13 where it seems like a majority of the parables deal with planting something in soil. Of course, the first parable is that long one, the parable of the sower and the different kinds of soils. And uh, I love that as it's as it's understood, you know, we can analyze our own hearts and what kind of a heart do you have? And what kind of a soil is it? And what do you need to do to change it? Um, this is maybe a bit of a stretch, but for those that are looking to teach others, whether that's your own family or your Sunday school class, your primary class, or whatever it is, one of the most important things is to look at the quote-unquote soil or the environment that you're teaching into. Um, this kind of goes back to a question that we got a couple of episodes ago that we started answering, and maybe this is a, another answer to that question. The teenager one? The teenager yeah, that was one. last, last mm-hmm. week. Um I I learned when I first started teaching seminary that seminary, the word seminary means seed bed. And so I got all pumped up on, and I did what I kind of do sometimes. I, I went to YouTube and I searched for how to cultivate a seed bed. And I watched like 15 
how-to videos from Home Depot and Lowe's and Black & Decker and everything else on how to appropriately till and cultivate a seedbed. Now, I could bore you with all the details that I learned, but there were some really important steps in cultivating a garden that I think apply to us cultivating a class. So, one, the first step in cultivating any kind of a garden is to remove any kind of um, obstructions to planting. So, you go through and you dig out big rocks, roots, um, of course, weeds, anything that needs to be removed, you take it out. And I think one of the first steps in teaching any kind of a group is to look at the group and say, is there anything happening here that if it continues to happen, will either lessen our ability to study or have a meaningful experience or completely um, negate our ability to do that. And so you look at your class and for example, one that comes up quite often in teachers is phones, cell phones and distractions. Now they can be a great resource if used for good, but a lot of times they can be something that causes distraction. And when classmates are distraction, when there's no unity, it's very difficult to focus. Um, now I know that lots of teachers will get into arguments with their classes about phones and it becomes kind of a push and tug or parents with their teenagers. But one way I found that's really healthy is helping all class members understand that distraction is something that will keep the Spirit of the Lord out of our classroom and we won't be able to study. And if I explain that to people, usually the response when I say, so can we all agree to set aside our distractions? Usually the response is pretty favorable. People get it and they want to have an unobstructed study experience. The second thing that you do once you take out everything that's bad is you have to add things in to compensate for some of the deficiencies in the soil. We have to add in what they call amendments. And so you look at, you know, nitrogen or oxygen, or I don't know what you put, I'm not a gardener. We've killed the only gardens we've ever tried to grow. But, but in looking at a classroom, after you take out the bad, you have to replace it with something good. And so you look at a class and you say, what do we need in this class or in this family that will make it so that we can have a meaningful study experience? And so maybe this is a, a hymn or, you know, we're going to have a more meaningful hymns or we're going to have more meaningful prayers or we're going to, I don't know, have some kind of unity, something at the beginning of our family study. We're going to do something, you know, I'll talk about our day or, or whatever it is, just something that I sense we need to add into the soil to make it so we can have a meaningful experience. I think this could really apply to our own personal growth or study or soil, as you're saying. Recently, we heard the the quote, the phrase, what do I need to stop doing and what do I need to start doing? So analyzing your family environment, your classroom environment, and take out the bad, but don't just take out the bad. Replace it with something good. Replace it with something good. I think that makes, that's such a good analogy for our lives mm -hmm. too. The third and final step, and you could go and go and watch YouTube videos and learn all the 14 steps and apply those to a classroom. But the third one that I think is important. Or maybe are, they know them because they're maybe, really good at gardening. Maybe, is once you've taken out the bad and you add in the amendments, you mix, then you let it sit, then you mix, then you let it sit, you add more in, you take more out. It's this constant process of mixing and working the soil, which I take to mean that any kind of a learning environment from home to church takes constant attention. You have to take out, it's not just one time that we have to address distractions in a class. It's probably every time. And it's not just one time that we need to have a meaningful hymn. It's going to be every time. And so we're constantly removing things that might damage the environment and putting things in that might, that will, that were 
confident will help the environment. I think this is a really healthy perspective for any t- sort of teaching environment. I'm, I'm thinking of applying this to a parenting setting or something where it's really a lot of that kind of constant motion and to not get dis- discouraged when it's not going exactly like you think it should. I already addressed this once. Why is it happening again? Yeah. Sort of a thing. It's that really that, that movement that comes as we try and weed out the bad and add back in the good. Uh, a teacher that I really look up to that was a, a, an administrator in seminaries and institutes for a long time, um, I got to read his observation notes once when he went and observed a seminary teacher. And what surprised me is that his notes had nothing to do with what the teacher actually did during the lesson. There were no notes on, hey, you need to ask better questions, or um, that scripture wasn't a good scripture. All of his notes, the entire focus of his observation was on the environment. And so he spent like three or four paragraphs writing about what the teacher did before the class even started. You went around and shook everyone's hand, and that was a really good way to do this. I noticed that the student came in late, and you didn't go and shake their hand. And I just wonder how they might have felt being left out. And The whole observation wasn't about teaching. It was on everything else around you, about that soil. And I learned from that. Sometimes we can have the best teaching or the best lesson in the world, but if the soil isn't right, it just doesn't grow. And so maybe one of those fundamental steps in teaching effectively is answering the question of what kind of soil do we have in this environment and what needs to go, what needs to be added in, and how can we mix it up and make make it right, make it work. So let's jump into this study. Lots of good stuff. The parables are so awesome to study. So we're just going to start in Matthew 13, verse 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their eyes are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, I should heal them. The parables are a place where Jesus teaches us in this really awesome way. I think it's interesting that uh, in the translation I'm looking at, the NIV, that first beginning of verse 13, he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. And then he explains they don't see and they don't hear. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that verse 15, where he's quoting Isaiah, he reiterates that the purpose of the parables is twofold. One so that they will be converted, or in the NIV it says, so that they will turn or return to me, Mm. and so that I can heal them. So the whole purpose of the parables is to convince people to turn back to Jesus so that he can heal them. But the first step in that is opening our eyes, Mm -hmm. opening our ears, and understanding with our heart, and trying to figure out what these mean, not only what the story means and what's fun to understand, but what it means to to us. To us, yeah. So what we want to do is a traditional study of the parables as we look through it uh, with a very good lens on us and what we need to do and how the kingdom of heaven or the church is like this or that. And all of that's a great study. We want to provide the companion study. If the purpose of the parables is to make us turn to Christ so that he will heal us, it follows logically then that the parables are about Christ. And yet all too often when we read the parables, we don't look for him and we don't see him. We focus on the soil and we ignore the sower. And so what we want to do is we want to focus on the sower. We want to look at the man. We want to look at uh, the 
the the symbol that the subject of the parables and see what that subject can teach us about the savior what is it about the sower that makes us want to return to him so that he can heal us and help us and save us yeah with all this talk about i think the perfect one to start is obviously the wheat and the tares because we've already talked soil Mm -hmm. we're already talking about a sower so So here we go. go yep um, if we can jump real quick to verse 36, this is where Jesus starts to explain the parable of the wheat and the tares. And here's where we get the hint that there's more to these parables than maybe we initially think. Verse 36, or I guess verse 37, Jesus explains, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. There it is. The purpose of this parable, at least one purpose in this parable, is to teach us about the Savior. And so now as I read the parable, you think in your mind, what is it about this sower, this or this this field owner, um, that reminds me of the Savior? What is it about him that would make me want to return to him so that he can heal me? Starting in verse twenty-four, Jesus told them another parable: The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at that time I will tell the harvesters, for first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. What I love about this parable is uh, we focus, at least every time I've studied it, on the last part of it, where we're talking about the gathering, we gather the wheat and the tares, and we burn the tares, and we gather the wheat into the storehouse, which is a wonderful image, but I, I almost love the the image or the emotion behind the story more than the image. Here is this sower. He's got this field and you can sense the pain and the frustration with these weeds that are cropping up. And as he, as the Savior explains later, as the, this evil or these worldly influences that have cropped up. Now, the logical conclusion that they proposed to him is, well, let's go rip up the weeds. But his concern is, if you rip up the weeds, you could potentially hurt the wheat. And as the Savior explains later on, that wheat is us. And so to translate the parable, the sower is the son of man. And he looks out on his field, on his world. And he recognizes in the world that he created, there is this wheat. His his disciples, his children, those that he loves. Well, and to add to that, verse 24, the end there he sowed good seed in his field. Mm-hmm. You know, just to kind of reemphasize that. He he was putting the best seeds he had. Yes, yes. But as he looks out over that field, he notices there's these worldly influences, this evil that's out there. And so the natural conclusion is, well, why don't you just destroy all the evil? Why don't you just get rid of everything bad so that the good can thrive? And his answer is, I can't. Because the the if I root up the weeds, I could potentially hurt the wheat and I won't do anything that could potentially hurt the wheat. I won't do anything that will damage the wheat. Even if that means that the wheat sometimes needs to live in a world where there's a lot of weeds. There will be a day when judgment comes and when there's harvesting and there's a separation. But for right now, it's better for my wheat to live in this world 
than it is if I were to root out the weeds. And I just love, I love the care of the sower, that he cares so much and that he knows so much. Um, and that his perspective of the long-term view of his wheat and his field supersedes the immediate desire to solve initial pains or, 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 or temporary problems. Well, moving right along with these, another seed parable, starting in verse 31, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now I love this as we kind of put that little bit of a different perspective on what we're looking at. Um, this is a small seed that is getting planted and he sowed it in his field because he believed I'm just going to say this, that it was a good seed. Mm -hmm. It was a small seed. Um, he even says, which is the least of all these, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs. I love the potential mm -hmm. that this, um, that this sower, again, this man is seeing in this little seed. And what's, what's cool to think of is if you think of the seed mm -hmm. is us and the seed has no idea of its potential, but here is the gardener and saying, I know that this little seed is be going to become something great. Mm -hmm. And, but we feel very small and we don't even know what's ahead. We don't know the changes. We don't know our potential. We don't know what we're going to go through, but someone does. And a loving God knows what we can become. And maybe we're a seed, a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, feeling very inadequate and feeling very, very small in a world that's really big with lots of people doing lots of things. But someone sees us um, just like this, that they become a tree so big that the birds can lodge in the branches thereof. I... I had never read that in that perspective, and I just, I just love that. I've, I've been, um, I've been interviewing students for our seminary council um, over the past month or so, um, and I don't extend the call for them to serve in the seminary council, but I, I interview them and ask about their interest and what their school year looks like next year. And it's interesting. Um, there are students that come in that when I say, "Hey, we're, we're, we're interviewing anyone that might be interested in seminary council." You can tell that it's not a surprise to them that they're they they would expect it. They're great seminary students. My favorite interviews, though, and I've had one this year with a young woman who has a very difficult um, background. I mean, she's just come from the worst, and um, the Lord has has reached out and literally snatched her and saved her from her, her environment. And so this is this is her year in seminary, and it's going great for her, and things are really starting to turn around, but. When I interviewed her and asked her, um, the look on her face was shock. She couldn't believe that I was asking someone like her with the background that she's had, which is not her fault, but which I know she feels like it is, um, asking her about seminary counsel. I got a call later on from uh, her mom and her mom just explained, let me tell you where she's been the last couple of years and why um, when she came home, she was just emotional and in tears that someone would even think about putting her on the seminary council. And I think here's this, this young woman 
that is in her own eyes this small mustard seed and yet when i'm interviewing her i i'm feeling in my heart what i'm sure god feels about her that oh you have you're gonna grow so big you're you're gonna change everything and uh and so i love what you're teaching about what the way we view ourselves and the way that the sower views us mm -hmm. um the the parable the next parable that i thought that i think goes along really well with that um idea of how the how the sower or in this case it's not a sower it's a, a, a merchant feels is um the two kind of back-to-back -back parables the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl and they're both single verse parables or i guess the second one has two verses in it but uh, but again they indicate the way that this in this case the merchant feels about what it is that he's going after so verse 44 the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, I've heard these taught that we should be the merchant and sell everything we have for the kingdom of God. And that is a wonderful, one of the beautiful things about the parables is that they can be read and interpreted so many different ways. And I think the Savior allows for that. I think he teaches in stories so that we can read multiple things into it. But the reading that caught my attention this time is, what if I'm not the merchant? What if the Savior is the merchant and I'm the pearl? And he looks at me and he says, that one pearl is of such great worth to me that I will sell everything that I have for that one pearl. The Savior walks into the Garden of Gethsemane and says, for that one soul, I will sell everything that I have. I will give away everything to save that one individual. And I think it's a very tender moment to realize that's how God feels about me. And that's how he feels about you. That's how he feels about these individuals that he's that he's comes to cherish and prize, and then how much more grateful or how much more uh, passionate he feels about them once he sells all that he has to purchase them. Peter even has one of my favorite scriptures later on in, in one of his epistles. Um, he mentions that we were purchased by the precious blood of Christ, and it makes me think back to this parable. Now, this is obviously just a few of these parables, but maybe hopefully this time in your study, you can look at them in maybe a different light. Um, and as you look to see how these can apply to you, um, think of how they apply to you because the Savior is looking at you as he's telling you these parables. And it makes me think of just kind of going back to those first few verses that we read um, in verse 15. Jesus speaks in parables, starting in verse, verse 15. For these people's heart is wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. I really love thinking of these verses and thinking of how we come to understand what the Savior wants us to understand in our lives. We need to look, we need to listen, but we really need to prepare our hearts to truly learn these things. And in fact, I love that he starts out with um, 
the parable of the sower right after those verses. He's teaching us how to prepare our hearts in that soil. And what is your heart? It really becomes a heart matter as we come to understand what these are. We can see and we can listen, but when we don't turn on that extra understanding of a heart, Mm -hmm. we don't really learn the way that the spirit teaches us. And I, I just love a, um, a talk that I feel like illustrates this so perfectly. Um, it's eyes to see and ears to hear October, 2015 given by Kim B. Clark. And I think to end us, we're just going to play a clip that explains this in a beautiful way. If we will look to Christ and open our eyes and our ears, the Holy ghost will bless us to see the Lord Jesus Christ working in our lives, strengthening our faith in Him with assurance and evidence. We increasingly will see all of our brothers and sisters the way God sees them, with love and compassion. We will hear the Savior's voice in the Scriptures, in the whisperings of the Spirit, and in the words of the living prophets. We will see the power of God resting upon his prophet and all the leaders of his true and living church, and we will know with a surety that this is God's holy work. We will see and understand ourselves and the world around us the way the Savior does. We will come to have what the Apostle Paul called the mind of Christ. We will have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we will build the kingdom of God. We recently got to hear from Elder Clark, um, and he explained something about the word understand. Um, Briefly, he said that gospel understanding is not a cognitive experience. When the world uses the word understand, they mean, do you get it? Does it make sense? But when the Lord uses the word understanding, especially in the scriptures, to understand with your heart, he doesn't mean, did you understand what I say or what I said? He means does what I said makes uh, mean something to you? Can you take what I said and apply to your life? Elder Clark explained that understanding is the link between gospel knowledge and gospel action. If I understand a doctrine or a principle, then that means I feel passionate about it and I can see how that would change my life and even feel motivated to take those steps and those changes. And so the challenge with the parables, I think, is to walk away from this study and from your own subsequent study and not just say, oh, that's neat. I learned some cool things about the parables that I didn't know before, but to walk away and say, I think this means more to me. My relationship with the Savior means more to me, and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And that's the heart. Yes. That's the understanding with the heart. In fact, the Savior explains exactly that. This is verse 23. He that received seed into the good ground, this is the parable of the sower, is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. We hope that this week your study of the parables will create for you that kind of study and bear that kind of fruit, the hundredfold fruit of feeling more love for your Savior, more desire to turn to Him, and experiencing His healing more in your life. Thank you so much for studying with us. We hope you have a wonderful week.